So in that famous children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis introduces us to four children who discover a magical world of Narnia through the wardrobe of their uncle's house. And in Narnia, there it's this amazing land with big, tall mountains and um, hills, rolling hills. Uh, there's these rich, deep forests. There's all these magical creatures, and the creatures talk. It's an incredible place. But in Narnia... There is a curse. There is a perpetual winter. It is, they say, always winter, but never Christmas. So there is this curse over the land. In Narnia, the children meet this wicked queen, and she wants to usurp the throne of power in Narnia. She's a witch with extraordinary gifts, She's one who is holding Narnia under this curse of perpetual winter. We also meet in the story a lion. And this lion is, is from beyond Narnia. This lion is from beyond time. The lion is a mysterious creature. And whenever people speak of the lion, they speak kind of in hushed and very reverent tones. One time, one of the girls in the story asks a beaver, is this lion safe? And the lion says, oh no, oh my, no, he, he is not safe, but he is good, I tell you, he is the king. And this lion is like the Christ figure in the Narnia stories. The lion actually lays down his life for Narnia dies on a stone table, rises again in even greater majesty and beauty. And in his majestic risen state, the lion goes about reversing the effects of the curse of perpetual winter. Wherever he goes, wherever he leads his troops to go, the effects of the curse are reversed. And you don't need to actually see this lion physically to know that he is present. All you need to know is that all of a sudden the thaw begins to melt on the trees and the buds and the crocuses begin to bloom and the, the flowers burst forth from the curse of winter from the surface of the snow on the ground. So toward the end of the story, Aslan, the lion, leads a troop of liberators into the castle of the wicked queen. And as they go into this castle, they find all these stone statues. Do you remember this scene for those of you who read the books? They enter the wicked queen's castle, and right there in the courtyard are all of these stone statues. They're just, they're scattered about, they're strewn all about in the courtyard. And these stone statues are creatures that the wicked queen turned into stone. And so as a reader, you're like, whatever, whatever is the great lion going to do about these creatures that have been turned to stone? And Aslan, the great lion, walks up to the first creature and kind of regally bows his head down and 
breathes onto the stone. And when the breath of the lion hits the stone of the statue, the stone just ripples into flesh. And it is the breath of the lion that brings life again. It is the breath of the lion that fills up the lungs of the creatures. And as their, their you know, lungs are filled with the breath of the lion, they begin to sing and they begin to dance and they begin to just shout the praises of this Aslan, the great and mighty one who's brought us back to life. And this is like C.S. Lewis's way of talking about what God does in turning hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It's his way of explaining or showing or illustrating like the work of the Holy Spirit, the moment of redemption, the moment when God turns our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, brings us out of death to life. And our passage of scripture today is all about just that. It is Jesus talking in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about how God can turn a heart, can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, how God can breathe life into death and revive our stone-like states of living. So the thing to know about Nicodemus is he is like at the top notch of Israelite society. He's like the top of the pyramid. He is a guy who, through this culture that valued reverence of God, he has been sifted, he has been tested, he has been proven, he has been PhD'd. His resumes are like as long as your arm. This guy is top-notch, top of the pyramid. He is powerful. He's super knowledgeable. He's this extraordinary man in a culture that is super devoted to God. So, so if you could just imagine, like, if you were walking through the streets of Jerusalem and, and you said to just some random stranger, do you think Nicodemus is going to heaven? Most likely, the answer would be like, well, if... If Nicodemus is not going to heaven, I don't think anyone is going to heaven. Because he is a, he is a devout man. He is one who is blameless in the sight of the people. He's like dedicated to the law. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a, a member of a group called the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus is a man who believes in God. But remember what the scriptures say, like in the book of James, even the demons believe in God and shudder. There is this sense in which Nicodemus's stone-like state is not perhaps what we often think of as this like active rebellion against God. Actually, his stone-like state is orthodox and it is dead. And there is no greater obstacle to the work of God. Like, there, there is nothing deader in history than dead orthodoxy. There's no greater obstacle to the work of God. There's no harder rock to transform, if you will. No harder statue to break through. Nicodemus was orthodox and dead. 
He's like a stone statue who came face to face with the great lion, the author of life. So in this text of scripture, this powerful man comes to Jesus at night, and I think that Nicodemus, I think he thinks that he's about to do a favor for Jesus. I think Nicodemus thinks, I'm going to go tell Jesus I put my stamp of approval on his ministry. I'm about to tell Jesus that I think his teaching is okay. Like, I'll set my approval on his ministry. This is what we read in John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. It seems like Nicodemus is pretty certain that Jesus will be thankful for for his vote of confidence in his ministry. Like that Nicodemus is thinking, oh, Jesus is going to be impressed that I'm impressed with him. So how stunned he must have been when this is what he hears in return. Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus says to him, well, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now this is the chapter in scripture where just a few moments later, We hear like the most often quoted verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. We see it at football games. We see it on bumper stickers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what's really interesting is that verse is in this context. Most of us don't even really remember or realize, oh, yeah, that was when Nicodemus and Jesus were talking. That's where that came from. And also, what is surprising, particularly if you grew up in church, what is also surprising is what Jesus does not say anywhere here in this chapter. He does not respond to Nicodemus by saying, praise God, Nicodemus, you are like on the edge of a big decision. There's just one more step for you. You're on the verge of the kingdom. Let me describe this decision for you, Nicodemus. Like, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life, and there's these two chasms, and one is sin, and there's a cliff, and I'm the bridge, and if you just pray this prayer written on the back of this card and sign your name on the bottom, then you're in. Like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus does not say that. Incredible, right? <laughs> he never says anything like that. Instead, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have actually already decided something here. You have already made a determination in your mind that I am from God. In other words, Nicodemus, you have come 
as far as the flesh can take you. And the flesh, even the finest decisions of the flesh, even the finest philosophical decisions of the flesh or theological decisions of the flesh, even the very finest acts of the flesh, whether they be philanthropic or economic or sociological, is still of the flesh. In other words, they still, those decisions, give birth to death. No, Nicodemus, no. Tonight is not the night of decision. Tonight is the night of miracle. Tonight is not the night of you making a decision. Tonight is the night of you experiencing a miracle. It's not of your making, it's of my doing. The miracle comes with the wind, with the pneuma, with the breath, with of the lion. And it cannot be domesticated. It cannot be tamed. It is not in your control. You can't tell it when to come and where to go. It comes as it will. It comes when it will. It, it's, like a, it's, it's like a wild goose, Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit. It, it's not so much a decision that you are in control to make. It's more like a reality you can no longer deny. I was stone, and this lion came and breathed on me, and I turned to flesh, and my lungs were filled up with life. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard paints this helpful picture of the work of God, the work of the Spirit in in establishing his kingdom in us and through us. Uh, This is what Dallas Willard says. He says, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use. But in my senior year of high school, the REA, which stands for Rural Electrification Administration, didn't even know that was a thing, right? Extended its lines into the area where we lived. And electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came to our farm, he says, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison is rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of the heavens. If we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns, their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and 
rug beaters, their woman powered, it was mostly women back then, right, sewing machines, and their radios and dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there, near them, where by making relatively simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others could not afford it, or so they thought. Later of the kingdom, he says this, but if the kingdom has been available to us, it has been available to us through simple confidence in Jesus. It's, it's a kingdom that, in the person of Jesus, welcomes us just as we are, just where we are, and makes it possible for us to translate our ordinary life into an eternal one. In Narnia, only the breath of the lion can turn the stone statues to flesh again. And you know God's spirit is still breathing today, turning hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, bringing hope into places of despair, breathing life into tiredness, into exhaustion, breathing life into people who then are equipped for ministry with resources that they didn't drum up on their own. And it, it, it's a miracle. It's a miracle I marvel at every time I see it and every time I experience it in me. And I hope that you know, I hope that you know, our greatest desire is that the wind would blow in you, that the great lion would breathe on you, that that is our greatest desire around here. And here's the thing, you're not able to measure that in a church like you can measure the bottom line of a business. It doesn't work that way. But you will observe it's blowing by the way that you love, the quality, the character of your love. That, that is what you will observe, which is why around here we prioritize love. Above doctrine and dogma, above philosophy, above theology and ideology, as important as these things are, above positions and above papers, we prioritize love. Because Jesus did not say, my followers are going to be known by their solid beliefs. Jesus did not say, my followers are going to be known by their super spectacular, passionate worship services, or by their very charming social media influencers. Jesus said, my followers are going to be known by their love, by the quality of their love, by the character of their love. We will know that the Spirit has blown on us, is working in us, is breathing deeper upon us by the quality and by the character of our love. And our greatest desire is that the wind would blow in you so that you might turn around in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever you may be, with the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. It didn't come from you. It didn't come from you drumming it up. You know, I know for me, I'm so uh, very 
scared of my own tiredness and exhaustion sometime. You know what? Maybe I don't have to be, and maybe you don't have to be either, because maybe that's like the very exact perfect place to be, because you're like, yeah, stone, ooh, yeah. And God's like, yeah, let me blow on you. Let me breathe my life into you. You didn't drum it up through your own self-help strategies. You surrendered to my love, and I gave it to you as a gift. May the spirit of love that is the spirit of Christ breathe on you, breathe on us. Fill us, equip us, strengthen us, give us a hope that becomes what we are known for in this world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, great Lion of Judah, you are not safe, but you are good. You are not safe in the sense that we, we can never control you or where your spirit blows, but you are good, and your goodness beckons us. We trust you because you are good. And we are safe in you because, not because we control you, but because you are so mighty, God, so good, and you care for us. So even now, God, we take a minute to just breathe in your goodness, breathe out the things of stress that we carry. We breathe in your presence, and we breathe out all the distractions that keep us from you. We breathe in your peace, and we breathe out our anxiety. We surrender to you, God. We fall on our faces like Isaiah. When we look at you, God, we say, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. And then we say, woe are we who keep trying to be like you, God. Woe are we who keep trying to take matters into our own hands. Woe are we who keep trying to be self-sufficient apart from you in a myriad of ways. We keep trying to make it all on our own. And we admit, God, we cannot make it on our own. We need you. We need your breath. We need your life. We need your help. We need your hope. We need your perspective in our pain and in our suffering. We need your redemption and restoration in our relationships and in our lives. So we lay down all these scattered parts and pieces of us that are not yet fully fused in you, not yet fully fused in your love. And we especially lay down the hard and resistant or disenfranchised parts and pieces of us. And we allow ourselves to just exhale and feel the safety of your mighty arms holding us up even now your mighty breath filling our lungs. God, help us to access your power always available in the ordinary everyday moments of our lives so that we might live in your kingdom and your power to your glory now and forever. Amen.